0: Welcome to, our, welcome to our podcast. Welcome to Bigger Happy Hour. Thank you for being here with us.
1: Thank you for inviting me. And I'm just so excited that we are spread across
0: the world. Yes. Like, we are.
1: like a boss. Like, like the future. Yes. The diverse technological future that some are fighting against yeah. and don't want to see.
0: Well, they're screwed. Yeah. Sorry, guys. It's <laughs> happening whether you want it to or not.
2: So happy to have you here. So you just came back from Comic-Con. So how was it? Was that your it, first time at Comic-Con? Is it? How was it, your experience?
1: It was huge. It was my first time at Comic-Con and everyone said it was going to be huge. So I knew it was going to be huge. And so I prepared myself by saying, I'm not going to try to do anything except for my panel, my two signings going to a panel that my friend Cindy Pond was on and meeting friends. And I I ended up doing a little more than that. Um, Oh, and I had to buy presents from my family. So (laughs) by restricting what I was going to do and just thinking of it as like a scouting expedition, I was able to manage it. But it is huge, huge. It's, did I mention that it's huge? (laughs) But the best part about it for me was that there were, I guess, a hundred thousand people or more. I don't know the, the breakdown, but it was so celebratory. It just felt like a festival that the atmosphere was so positive and there were people there with their kids and in maybe, maybe in cosplay, maybe not. And there were people wandering the halls and everyone just was so happy to be there that, I never felt any sense, I actually felt almost safer there than at some of the science fiction conventions I've been at because it felt like we were all in it together. And I just love, I love the cosplay. It it took me a little bit to get used to the fact that I could just say to someone, could I take a photo and may I tweet it? And they were always, they always said yes. They were always happy to have that done. Um, And then the other thing, that i really noticed is um i don't want to bring up a controversial topic immediately but i will anyway um some of the discussion yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry i know you guys hate that (laughs) Uh, no no
2: no no don't go ahead and i'm not
1: actually gonna i actually don't really have any desire to discuss the hugos which i mostly have don't discuss and stay out of and have for years okay Um, but the discussion about diversity and whether diversity is a is a, is a quota thing or, a uh, you know, just a politically correct thing or, you know, something that's just fashionable and trendy right now. I, the people who say those things must not be at Comic-Con because Comic-Con looked like humanity to me. Everyone, everyone is participating in this amazing upswelling of interest in the fantastic and the the, i mean by the fantastical literature the gaming the films that you know everyone's in love with this because to me fantasy and and science fiction kind of like these kind of spectacular stories they kind of like are the root of what our storytelling is what human storytelling is we love these stories And this is just like this huge expression. That was what Comic-Con was for me. This huge expression of people saying, we are all in this great make-believe together. There you have it.
2: That's really cool. I've always wanted to go, but it's so far away from, from England. Just a follow-up to what you were saying, because you've been in business, you you have been writing books and publishing for 20 years, right? 26, so why,
1: years, 26
2: years. 26 years. So why was this the first time that you went to Comic-Con and why did you, in a way, then decide to go to other conventions and not to Comic-Con? And why did you decide to go to Comic-Con this time around?
1: Well... You know, I moved to Hawaii, or as I like to say, my husband got a job here. So I was forced to move to Hawaii in 2002. And because of that, I, I think I would have gone to a Comic-Con, probably not this one because it's so big. And frankly, if I go to conventions, I have to think about whether it is, helps me. It helps yeah. my, my my writing, my business, or my visibility. Um, but I would certainly have thought of going to other Comic-Cons earlier. But when you live in Hawaii, it's really expensive to yeah. fly anywhere. So, And since I moved to Hawaii, I simply have gone to a lot fewer conventions. So I've mostly picked ones. Like I've been to World Fantasy a couple times because I wanted to see friends of mine. Um, and see my community, and I've been to Worldcon a couple of times for that same reason, so I mostly picked things so that I could go see my friends this year uh, because my debut young adult novel is coming out from Little Brown called Court of Fives uh, Little Brown Young Readers, which is their uh, who publishes their their children's book line um, they they sent me. Uh, and I did a panel, which was actually on epic fantasy. I did a signing at which they gave away some advanced reader copies of Court of Fives, and then I did a signing at the Orbit Books booth. They didn't give away copies of my forthcoming new epic fantasy, Black Wolves, but they did give away uh, copies of that paperback of Cold Magic at that signing. So, so I was kind of so I was invited to go there, kind of as a C list. <laughs> As a C-list, you know, celebrity yep. or D-list celebrity. <laughs> I don't know which. It, no. So that that's why I went this time. And it, it's really big. I wouldn't, I would have a hard time going just going because it was crowded for me. There's so many people that that's exhausting for me, a smaller convention. But, yeah. but I'll probably try to go to some of the slightly smaller ones, like maybe Phoenix Comic Con. or I mean, they're all over
2: yes yeah well london comic-con is this weekend here so and it's very very small it's nowhere near as big as san diego or even new york comic-con it's yeah it's gonna be nice and
0: uh anna's going to get to meet somebody special
2: i will oh my god i got <laughs> tickets i i actually paid a ticket to take my i have a picture taken with the celebrity i what is happening to me but it's Haley Atwell. Um... <gasps> I know.
0: <laughs> Break for fangirling uh, over Haley Atwell.
2: I was like, "Is this real life?" I was just checking the website. It's like there are still tickets available, and I was like, "What?" I didn't even know that she was going. And then all of a sudden, I am actually having a picture taken. I am gonna ask her to pretend punch me. <laughs> oh God. No. I, this is gonna be my photo request. I'm gonna ask her to pretend punch me like Agent Carter, and then I'm gonna pretend being punched. Sorry, I just I can't. I, Anna, advice, Anna, I, Anna
0: Grillo's I, legacy, everybody. <laughs> pretending to be punched by Haley Atwell.
2: That is totally
0: awesome.
1: I love her. I love that show.
2: I know it's amazing. We love that too. That's because
1: she's so great in
2: it. Yes, she's and, so uh, great. You to- I totally believe. I totally believe in her right she's such a good actress amazing so. she gave
0: a she was on a panel where there's a there's a little gift set going around where people ask her about if she's ever been asked to do something by director that if that she didn't want to do and she's like yeah sometimes i'll be like sometimes i'll just say uh the, she wouldn't be naked in the scene or have clothes and i'm not gonna do that to fulfill your your sick little weird fantasy Yes, yeah, that is a <laughs> and, yeah. and it's a, this Comic Con was great this year. So many people, like so many misogynists, just got dragged. It was beautiful.
2: <laughs> it's amazing. She's going to be doing a talk as well here, but it's on Saturday. I don't have tickets for Saturday, and they are sold out. Oh so. well, no!
0: Well, at least you get I, to meet her at your photo.
2: Yeah, it's going to be like two seconds. I won't have time to do anything. But I've never I'm, done. I'm... I would.
0: I've never done that, and I would never do that. Like just imagining going up to like a celebrity and going, "Let's take a picture." Number one, pictures, no. Number two, stranger, double no. Number three, people staring at you from the line.
2: Oh my god! Stop saying that, really. <laughs> Just go. Oh, I can't believe I'm doing that. i actually pay for this. It's like what?
0: So yeah, that's the thing that's gonna happen. So congratulations for getting. Tickets to this thing that seems, like, really...
1: And you know what's interesting? It's interesting how much, because I... we have, How much we invest. Not, not so much... Some people do it in the actors themselves, but I think most of us invest in the roles. And then the right. actor's just kind of like the vehicle. And we do the same thing with books, you know? We get so invested in characters. Oh, yes. Absolutely. It's, it's such a weird, magical process.
0: I don't know. I mostly am in fandom for character... This whole idea that you could interact a different way is really alien to me.
2: Well, you know, it's really interesting because Thea and I have... We're very different kind of readers. Obviously, we both appreciate when a book is well-rounded. I, but I read primarily for character. And Thea, it's a much more of a plot-driven reader. Of course, she would prefer that all books have great plots as well as great characters but sometimes she's okay with with the plots and with the plots only and I'm and I need the characters much more. I like if I, I one example that I always like to say is that if there is a book where nothing happens but two characters having great conversations it's sometimes it's enough for me. Like those movies, I just remember those movies with um Julie Delphi and Ethan Hawke before Sunrise, before Sunset. And it's just the two of them walking around talking, right? Mm-hmm. And I love those because I'm so invested in those characters and nothing really happens. It's I just get like, another
0: pop culture shame point for not knowing what that is.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> God. And Let's end. She's, let's, she qu-
0: quits again. Say, ah.
2: Oh, my heart just stopped. What is this? This is
0: I common. Haven't this is common.
2: I haven't seen oh, them. Oh my them. I know what they are. I know what they are. I don't
0: are. know what this is. Like okay, this,
2: this. I'm the I'm the, the bad
0: one. Like I'm the bad guy here because I'm like, what is? I do might you know, know it if I saw it.
2: Do you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get a hammer, <laughs> and every time this happens, I'm gonna hammer something.
0: Please do not hammer. I can't edit that out.
2: As an outlet for my frustration and then i'm gonna send you a list of these movies for you to watch obviously
0: i don't know so, is it is it science fiction no but science i don't science care
2: science
0: <laughs> fair enough i'm just like that's really a thing with me recently like i've just decided i try i try really hard to to care about non like sf stuff and i just have a really hard time with it i just don't find it that yeah, interesting do like
2: You like fantasy.
0: Yeah, I like fantasy. That's fine. But like just a regular, maybe that's weird. Maybe I'll grow out of that. I think maybe I'll get older. No, you won't. No, No. you
1: won't. Because I was seeing, I don't know if it was a TV show or a film or something, or maybe it was a book, but I was uh, imbibing something a, a couple months ago and I was thought, well, this is fine, but, oh, I think it was a mystery novel, which I don't read very often. I try, but once a year I try again, right? And I'm reading, I thought, you know, this would be a lot better if there was, like, a spaceship or aliens invading or a dragon. Yes. And I would really like this. Because exactly. there was nothing wrong with it. It was well written. The characters
0: were interesting. And I just, I was like, where's the dragon? Uh, could I get <laughs> could I get all of these different things but in space? <laughs> That's always my question. Or, well,
1: space would have been good, too, if it could have, like, wasn't set in a space station or whatever, right? You know? Yeah. Then it would have, actually, if it had been set in a space station and there hadn't been anything else changed except for that, I probably would have liked it. Yeah, I felt I felt kind of sad at myself, and then I thought, uh, oh, who cares?
0: <laughs> There's plenty of other people to like the other exactly. regular stuff. Obviously, Anna likes it.
2: <laughs> yes, of course. I read a lot of contemporary YA. I read a lot, I read a lot of murder mysteries as well historical fiction i think
0: this comes from me growing up not having a lot of access to uh,
2: sf books probably but I, but I didn't either
0: i don't know what it is well maybe i don't know maybe we react to different ways you now you're
2: i read all the things yeah may,
0: may you read the, the normal stuff and i'm just like no i did that already i'm done for a while no,
2: but renee you like to read romance novels historical ones
0: uh okay we can't say that i like to read historical romance novels when i've only read like one author because i tried another (laughs) author i don't remember her name dare or something and i was like nope oh tessa
2: dare bored as
0: hell so Uh, i don't think we can i don't think i think i just like courtney milan and that's about it i think i just like her writing and her stories and i find the rest of it hard to swallow like She's an exception. Okay. I like romance and fantasy novels. <laughs> if, it, if it's, like, fantasy slash historical. Even though I'm top... am not the only one, like, that gets kind of tired of history and fantasy novels these days. I'm not the only one. Because I'm just like, this is not... This is not what I remember from my history course.
2: <laughs> this seems
0: very boring. Hand-wavy? Not hand oh, right. It's okay. just, like, it's just this one version of a particular history from the 1500s yeah. over and over and over again yeah. oh that's just bad that's bad writing
1: I guess that, I don't... that's a thing where I find certain kinds of stories now that can be perfectly well written or well done I just find them boring because I find the content I feel like I've read, read them a thousand times before in some minor variation or other and And actually, there's another element there. I call it the flattening of history. Uh, I I, I said this in an essay I wrote, uh, I think the Women Writing, Writing Women Characters essay that, the you know, people love to talk about how conservative, well, some people, there's a certain group of people who love to talk about how conservative fantasy is, because then they can, like, lord it over people who like fantasy, because, like, you secretly were monarchists at heart or whatever, but really what's conservative about fantasy is these people who have these completely flattened ideas about what the past was like. You know, the past was... The past was actually so varied that you can't draw any conclusions. And I think, Renee, that may be part of what you're reacting to is that people have these very narrow views of what they can put in a in that period of history. And it's not really true if you actually read history at any depth. You can put almost
0: anything. Yeah, I mean that's my problem. I have a history. I have a history minor. So. When oh well. There you I, go. I I uh, I yeah, would have got like I would have yeah. gotten. Yeah, Anna has a degree too. I would have gotten, I was like, what, six or nine hours away from actual degree, but I was just done with, was just done with higher education. I'm like, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> like, I mean, when people say, well, the past was like this, and I go, well, not really. The past is like now. Think about how things are now. How complicated and varied life is now. That's how it was back then, too. This idea that we are also with kind of like a diversity conversation when you talk about improving representation or whatever. There's actually a good example of this going back to Haley Atwell because she'll just drag people on Twitter who like are really rude. Like somebody was like, "How can there be like the how can there be diverse characters in the 40s?" Well, because (laughs) you know, black Uh, people weren't invented uh, like 10 years ago. (laughs) They've been around a while. Yeah. And so it's that idea that we've, history has just, is like a flat line that's just gone straight up and like people are only now existing, I guess is like the way, a way to put it. It's just really weird to me. You would have to write the past like it's today because that's how the past was. It was complicated and varied and...
2: And full of women doing stuff.
0: Yeah, not just, not well. just women, just everybody. No, this, this, exactly. this This is just a really weird idea to me that... The recent, you know, last two years in fandom has really, I'm just like, oh God, our public education and system is so bad. These people, what are they doing? Well, and it's
1: not just them because I, you know, this stuff, these, this viewpoint, you know, this conservative, narrow, and I don't mean conservative in the political sense, but, but this, this narrow, rigid viewpoint of the past has, you know, people talk about that too, as we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, to justify the story they want to tell, which is a narrow story it 's very uh, it 's not a universal story it 's like a very narrow story it 's a very particular story and then like they claim that that 's somehow the story that is for all of us, but it isn 't it 's a story for them and we 're also to join in but it just it just amazes me that people don't that people don 't want to read more than that some people seem to just be so happy with this very narrow range of stories when there's so many.
2: Well, what I ask myself is, does that reflect... Of course, I'm mean, i stretching now because, of course, we cannot answer that question, but does that reflect their living experience? So how, how narrow must their lives be? Because that's not the way that I see the world. That's not how I interact with the world. That's not, you know, Renee was just saying about how she walks around and there are... So many non-white people. Well, non-white. yeah, and I'm
0: in I'm in rural Arkansas,
2: and, and like, I
0: still have, and there's still it's the world. So right? How,
2: yes. How narrow was your life or your viewpoint? I don't I don't understand. So and how threatened sad.
1: can you be to say that that people they just go on about when not all people, and this is changing a lot actually. Um, I, I think not as much as I, you know, I wish it would. I wish we didn't have to have these conversations anymore. But why is it so threatening to some people to have yes. like women or people who aren't just like me in your fiction? Why is it so threatening that you have to say, but it's it's not realism to have that. I mean, you're you're essentially closing all your doors and closing all your windows. And because why? What is so scary about that? I, I don't understand. I mean, the whole point of fiction is to experience something that I couldn't experience standing in my living room.
2: Well, maybe there are people that, exper- that experience the opposite, that they hope to bring the fiction into their living rooms to experience, to have that comfort of just having something mirroring their own views Not to expand, but just to reflect, oh, I don't know what I'm saying anymore.
1: No, actually, I think that's actually, I think that's a very profound point that some people, for some people, fiction is doors and windows, and for other people, it's mirrors. Yeah. I read stuff sometimes just to kind of, because, you know, sometimes that's what a comfort read is for me, something that just reassures me. But then I can read others, you know, but I like, I like it all. I want to explore.
2: Yeah, but then even if you were so much into a comfort read, you wouldn't go out of the way to say no to everything else because, no, you wouldn't have an expectation that other people would it be exactly the same, have the same expectations. So you wouldn't go out of the way to just ruin the party for everybody else if they wanted right. to read something more.
1: Do you know what right, I mean? Right, that idea that you have to, you know, that you're wrong for, well, that that goes yeah. back a- Wait, you're wrong for liking that.
2: Yeah. Oh god. I mean, this used
1: to be romance. Man, when I first came into the field, there were some romance writers who wanted to join the sci the, the Science Fiction Writers of America, professional group, and they were belittled and trashed.
2: Oh my it god. It was it was
1: ugly. It was so ugly and done with a sense of glee. These men were so proud of themselves that they were belittling and trashing these women who wanted to be part of the group. It was it was an eye-opener for me. This was wow. like literally the first year I joined. I saw this happen.
0: Wow. The first year you joined Cephaw, well, this happened? Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. That, I, I, in the forum, which back then was printed and mailed and it came, you know.
0: Well, this happened in like, pr- this, this behavior happened in print? Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh yeah,
1: publicly, oh, so god. everyone could pile on. So when people talk about pile-ons, they're, this happened. The pile-ons have always been happening. It happened in print. Oh my god! In in the Sifwa forum, the, our our professional organization's place where we talk to each other professionally. It was disgusting, but wow. it was a good lesson to me as a young well, I was thirty. It was a good lesson to me as a thirty-year-old. Keep your mouth shut. That was the, you know, or
0: their, you know, be
1: nice. That was, that was what, anyway, it was, it was disgusting.
0: So you have, so you basically came into the field as the internet and social media were developing. So you sort of seen it evolve. So, I mean, would it, I mean, would it be correct to say that you've seen it like change from the very beginning to what it is now?
1: Yeah, I mean, not from the very beginning, because I'm not a super early adopter. I got online in 1990, I think. So when I first came, my first novel was published in 1988. And, you know, I went to my first convention in 1988 also. And I have to say that I didn't know anybody. I didn't know that conventions existed until my first novel was uh, coming out and my then agent said to me, oh, you should go to the, you know, this, these conventions because they're a place where you can, you know, be, give, get publicity for your book. So I'm like, okay. But I had no idea that this stuff happened. I I, I, I didn't, I didn't know the world existed out there. I had grown up completely in isolation. You know, I was kind of the geeky kid who loves science fiction and fantasy. And I had one English teacher who was really into it thank goodness for him. And so he encouraged me, but my friends didn't read it. I didn't know people who read it. It was like weird to read it. And I, I no one in my family read it. So I, it, to me, it was just this completely weird thing that I just loved. I didn't even know why I loved it. So coming to fantasy conventions was on the one hand, for me, it was like, oh my gosh, this is my people, right? And then on the other hand, there was this nasty undercurrent towards, towards women. And You know, probably towards uh, non-whites too, but there weren't as many in the that I saw then. Um, Although all people have been in, you know, here all the time. It's just there weren't as many, and yeah. So and then and then I got on Genie in nineteen ninety, which was an old bulletin board, um, and it's just accelerated since then.
0: So nineteen nine. Well, I wasn't. Oh, it took me until nineteen ninety four, so technically you're ahead of me. <laughs> and so would you say that you said back when this whole the romance thing with SIFA happened, you learned the lesson not to speak up. But like do you think that's gotten better or are we still kind of living in a world where women have to be quiet and not say not speak up when things happen like that or risk their careers? Or is it has it are we in a place where that's no longer an issue, I think it's gonna it's still an issue i
1: you know i if I was on panels and when i was even when I was young, I would on panels politely call out things i, I I've told this story before, but I'll tell it to you guys now as an example and I don't know if this was in this would have been in eighty eight or eighty nine I was on a so remember I'm a very young writer, I had maybe one novel out, and I was on a panel with a really big name male writer there. So the panel was about writing or being a writer and there were three men and two women on it. And the the big name writer began to pontificate. And he said, and I, this is a quote, he said, you know, all writers are rapists. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, yes. Dear. On the panel to a room full of people with two, with, with three, with four other people on the panel Two men, two women. I I mean, yes. And then he went on, and this is now paraphrase. He said, "You know, we we you know we inseminate our stories into people's minds, and then they grow, and then they grow there." And I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I'm so creeped out right
2: now. No, I seriously,
1: seriously. And so when he finished, I just thought, "Fuck this!" to myself, and I said, "You know," and I, I was able to be the next person to speak. So it's not that I'm like it's not like, like I never talked up. It's just that I gauged my, you know, when it was worth it and when it wasn't. And, and, and I said something like, well, you know, that's kind of a male model of looking at it, which now when I think back on it is really insulting to the men who also would have found that comparison to be really insulting. Um, so I apologize to all of them, but I was really pissed off. Um, <laughs> and I said, you know, that's kind of a male model, male way of looking at it. And he kind of got huffy, right. But he couldn't do anything. And, and I, but I, I still believe that the audience was with him because they were like, like oh he's so important right so i said my piece then <laughs> it was funny because i was on another panel with this person at um at this same convention which was about i don't even remember what it was but the subject of a um let me see if i can phrase this correctly of a expedition to another star right if we had a Interstellar expedition that would set out. And at one point, he goes, Well, you know, us people, the ones in this room, we're not the ones who would be picked. They would pick the young and the, you know, the fertile and the whatever. Yeah. And like, I can't remember if I said this, but, and I hope I did, because I'm, I'm thinking like people like me, right? Like me. <laughs> because he's like talking, he was constantly talking for all of us. His experience was for all of us,
2: it was universal. So,
1: Yeah. And and so so on the one hand, there was that. On the other hand, I love the science fiction fantasy community. So what I would say comparatively is that, oh, wait, I can give one more example. Here's another example. So this, I don't, this would have been in kind of the same, maybe a year or two later. um, And I was on a panel about, I don't know, maybe war. And at some point, Because we were talking about this. And at some point I said, you know, it's interesting to me because we're going on and on about war and battle and how we have written a thousand, a million stories about war and battle. And yet I just don't see many, many episodes of childbirth in these stories. We don't talk about childbirth in these stories. And a guy on the panel goes, well, that's because all childbirths are the same, but every war story is different. What? Yeah. Yeah. And the audience is all nodding along with him. I have no because, words. Yeah. Because that's, that's the narrative they've heard, right? That's the narrative we grow up with women's stuff and eh, boring, trivial, it's all the same man's stuff important. Right? So I would say that it is different now because there's more of us and we can reach each other. And so we're like, we're building this, are building this net. You know, we can, we can grasp hands across distances that we couldn't bridge before. And we know we're out here talking to each other. And so our voices get, get lifted up and get amplified because we have each other to reach. And then you could, it was hard to find those
2: other people.
1: So, yeah, so I, think, it, I think it's better. Like we're still fighting that fight, but I think it's better because there's more of us and the voices are louder.
2: And that's one of, the, one of the definite positive aspects of social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, because it's now so easy for us to find each other and create our own communities in those places. I have so many people that I follow on Twitter and I just, it just feels very comfortable to me because it's all the same. At least it feels like the same, everybody's on the same length. We are talking about the same things or similar things uh, the same way. And, and to me, I know that people complain about Twitter, but to me, it feels like such a safe place. It feels very comfortable to me because I'm surrounded by these people that I have so many things in common with and, and part of the things that I, we have in common with is the fight is to don't you know, speak up
1: and and we know we know that there are people we know there are people who are, will have our backs i i also find yes. twitter a pretty safe place with with the understanding that it isn't safe for
2: no um, for everybody a, a number of people no,
1: exactly uh, i yes. i haven't received the horrible stuff that some people have had to deal with you know i've been fortunate in that way yes but i just it's mind-boggling to me i can talk to people all over the world just like I can chat with them all over the world instantly it's amazing
2: and now you know the same and the the things that you care about as well things that you have in common like you know books tv shows movies and feminism and everything and you can ask for help
0: that's a thing too that yes like Yeah. yeah the other day well this this week so some lists came out right this week Some books, some recommendation lists. Like there was one on Barnes & Noble from Ernest Klein, And then Andy Mm. Weir on Twitter made some recommendations. (laughs) And so I'm talking about it now. But when it was happening, I I freelanced for Barnes & Noble. And I, when I saw that list come out, I was so angry and embarrassed. Because I freelanced for that blog. And I was afraid to say anything. I was afraid to speak up. I was afraid. I'm like, what if I criticize this and I get fired? And I wonder now, like, but now I'm, I t- I'm talking about it. I'm no longer, like, I, I gave it a few days. And I'm like, you know, if I do, then whatever. It's, it's going to be okay. I'll find something else to do. But, like, would I have done that three years ago? I don't think so. But now I have more connections. And there's more people for me to reach out to, to be frustrated at. And I don't have to, like, deal with it by myself. I can like I can ping I can DM somebody and be like, Wow, did you see this? This is really embarrassing and and they can ping me back and go, Yo, you're absolutely right. You and like it's validating and you're no longer I you're, you're long isolated. You know, that's a really important point too,
1: because as long as people are isolated and alone, they don't have a power base to stand on. They can't really protest. The most dangerous thing, you know, in, in unequal societies is when people who are in less powerful positions start to link up because then that connection, connection always is power. And I mean, power, I don't mean like power over, but power of power within power together. Um, connection is always, always strength.
2: And that's one of the things that I've had to think about more recently, because we have, uh, the book smugglers have 20,000 followers on Twitter And I have, because I run our Twitter feed. So I have picked up fights and been very vocal about quite a lot of things over the years. But now that we have this huge platform, I've had to take care and mind more what I say and who I I say things to. Because I need to take into consideration that I, I do have this platform and it is quite a powerful one. And in many ways, I am privileged. I've been very careful, more careful lately, so that I don't punch down. And yeah. this is something This is, some, some, it is something that is very new to me. I never had to think about this before, because, of course, I am a non-English person, a woman. And many times, I, I was on the other side. And now I find myself on the privileged side.
0: Well, in and some ways
2: in some ways of course because I have all sorts of other privileges as well I do think well, that well, I do think yeah. that our
0: community we get a little confused that I mean going back to our discussion about how big comic-con is compare like comic-con to the science fiction community no <laughs> like, there's no, <laughs> there's really no there's no comparison no, there's no right comparison. it's so it's so tiny so I mean, yeah, you have some privilege because you have a really large platform, but also the yeah. community is just really like outside this community. Like we're like crumbs,
2: flies, flies. <laughs> so,
0: but but book smugglers reaches outside the community. That's true. That is true. You do. You guys do. You have diversified.
2: Yes. Well, from the beginning, well, we we started off as a romance blog.
0: Yeah, you you already have a more
1: diverse network. I mean, that is the other thing about this whole discussion of. The, the Hugos, which again, I'm not interested in the awards or the details, but, but it is actually fairly small.
2: Yes. Absolutely. It, it's like huge,
1: like in the echo chamber of, of the science fiction fantasy community, it's like huge. And there's, and there's an, a lot of important things to be discussed about it. To me, larger things, you know, that, that it's brought up some larger issues that I think are important in the long term. but, but outside that nobody knows. And furthermore, yeah nobody cares. And I don't say that to denigrate the Hugos, which are, uh, you know, a nice award. And and I'm pleased for the work that they recognize. But it's, you know, the, but but I bet if you interviewed the people at Comic-Con wandering the halls, I bet the vast majority of them wouldn't have heard of them.
0: They would have heard of the, they would have heard of the award probably the name. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not my
1: life. I live a life that's so divided because most of the people I interact with in in my family, Mm -hmm. they don't know in my extended family. Oh no. I'm sure that most of the people in my extended family have no idea what the Hugo's are. My immediate family knows only because they know me. Right. Right. So my kids know about it because I'm their mom. You know, I don't think my husband has ever been to a science fiction fantasy convention. I
0: think the Hugo and, as an and he object. He was in the
1: though. SCA. I mean, yeah. he and I met in the SCA, right? We yeah. met in the sword fight in the SCA, in fact. But, but um, he doesn't. So it's not like, and he's a he's a gamer, but that's completely un, of not of interest to him.
0: Yeah, I think the Hugo Award, like as a as an object, as a cultural object, is more recognizable. Like people, you say, oh, Hugo Award, and people, if they have done like base like some like basic reading, like bestsellers, shelf space in uh, bookstore, browsing, stuff like that, they might recognize the name. They're not going to know all the crap that's underneath it, but they might recognize the name. But then that's the problem when that's the only thing. Like, I can't think of any other cultural touchstone besides that, the name of the award, not even the award itself, the name of the award. Because most people, if they say Hugo Award, if they know it, they're like, oh, it's for a book. But they don't know about all the other stuff, the short stories, right. the fan right. stuff. Oh, oh right, no! Right? Oh you know no! Yeah, nobody yeah. knows. Like they just think it's an award for a book, and that's like the. And I am trying to think, but that's like the only touchstone that this little tiny community really has, because when I people who know when I've asked people who know the Hugo, they don't know what the Nebula is at all. So yeah, the Nebula is
1: very, very focused as an in community, mm-hmm.
0: and world so, fantasy
1: people don't know about that at all either.
0: So it's just like this community is just so tiny, and it, it but when you are in it, it feels so huge. And when things are going wrong, it feels so discouraging.
2: And it feels like everybody knows and everybody's talking about the same thing. But
0: no, not really.
2: Uh, uh, no, not really. And now even even the Hugo voters, if you go down the ballot, the further down the ballot you go, the fewer votes there are, the nominations even. Like yeah. there are some categories there there have like 400, 300 people. It's it's very insular. It's very small. So, and, but some, sometimes it feels like it's the whole world.
0: Yeah, but it's not. And like, I mean, the Comic Con thing. I'll, I'll just alone, like, I mean, you said some numbers earlier, Kate. You said something like a hundred thousand, but I saw I saw a number like uh, much larger than that, like a hundred forty thousand.
1: Yeah, I saw that. That's what. Yeah, I think it might be hundred and forty. I can't like, believe that. Huge. Like, touched like half of them and jostled in those exhibit hall. And those people. That's. I mean. And they are all there reveling in things that have a science fiction and fantasy aspect to them. That's, I, I actually had an interesting conversation with Ellen Wright, who's the publicist at Orbit Books. And yeah. she said, you know, because the, the publishers bring, they have booths when they bring their, their science fiction fantasy horror lines with them. And she said, yeah, she goes, you know, we, ha- we, don't, we don't have any numbers. We don't have any way of measuring whether it helps us to be here you know, because there's no absolute statistics that, you know, this many eyeballs touched our booth posters and then that, you know, equated to this many more sales, you know, two weeks later. But she said, but, but we know that people, a lot of people walk past this booth who might not in, you know, who might not ever go into a bookstore. So, so they're kind of like figuring that they're there for visibility.
2: The thing is so this is something that I talk, Fay and I talk about quite a lot because we think that publishers are quite short-sighted about conventions, especially Comic-Con and BEA even the the fantasy and sci-fi publishers uh, they have like for example at BEA it has always surprised us how tiny the tour booth at BEA is and BEA is the largest book um, fair in the US and it's in New York where Tor Books is based at and they have a really small presence there and Taya was at Comic Con as well and she said that she couldn't believe that there are the, the, the books were not that well represented she felt uh, there were not huge booths, not all publishers were there and she feels and I feel that this is very short-sighted of publishers not to invest more in those conventions because like you said, no Ellen just said that they don't have numbers. I think that's something that maybe they should have. I don't know.
1: I, I just, it's, I mean, for me, it's a, it's a new world because you did 15 years ago, 20, 20 years ago. I hadn't even heard of comic cons. Yeah. No, they existed. And, and I remember when people, I, I'm so old. I remember when people in, um, Science fiction and fantasy, at least in my circle, began talking, and I don't remember this was a while ago, about like Dragon Con, these media conventions. I remember when people started talking about media conventions, and they're like, well, is it worth going? I don't know. Actually, who was it who said this? Was it you? Somebody said this, that science fiction is actually kind of a conservative field, strangely enough. It it feels kind of resistant to change for all that.
2: Talk about
1: it being like, oh, we're the future, but...
0: No, I, not like, at so all. She's... No. No. The future is fandom, like the fandom that I'm a part of. The media when in the 60s when the men decided, "Oh, they were going to like run the women, like run the women out be jerks and sexist assholes." And the women were just like, "Fuck this. We're going to make our zi- our zines and do our thing over here and we split." That that fandom that I'm a part of that I, that I come from, that's going to be the successful one because we're the ones going like we're the ones going to these conventions, we're the ones Building these communities that are inclusive. And my mm-hmm. fandom's not perfect. There's, like, we focus... There's a huge focus on white dudes fucking. That's a problem. Um, like, it's... Well, it is. It's an issue. Like, we have these problems, right? But, like, as far as, like, welcoming people of color and women and trans people and non-binary people into the community... Like we're a lot better at that that I see the science fiction and fantasy community being. So I just think that, like, as the years go by and the more like, the more the SF, these big SF publishers don't pay attention to these to how fandom is changing, they're just gonna get left behind.
2: And what uh, another thing that surprises me again because science fiction you usually um, you know compares to technology, but how resistant of people in this field to embrace new technology really like there are fanzines being published as pdfs and you know and people just don't want to accept blogs like blogs blogs are not even new anymore people they are so resistant against tumblr as well so yeah a
0: few and, uh, last uh, Anna do you remember that th- remember that conversation I told you about uh, uh, last year sometime I was listening to a podcast I'm not going to name the podcast and they talked about tumblr they were very sexist like, oh, little girls on Tumblr. Gr- uh. Girls on Tumblr. And I wrote them an email. I'm like, this is really inappropriate and not cool to do. Don't you don't gender Tumblr? Tumblr is for everybody. A lot of women are there, a lot of women and girls are on Tumblr. That's why it's so successful. <laughs> women adopt, I mean, if you're going to look women at technology, adopt technology women too. adopt technology. Look at the romance community and ebooks. Oh,
2: oh my God, it's just, it's where things are happening. Yeah, right? So, yeah.
0: the fact that. The romance this,
2: community was has always been,
1: in terms of publishing and. and yeah, they're the, on the, the cutting writers, edge. They've always been ahead of the science fiction fantasy community and adopting new ways of trying to reach people. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I wrote this. This
2: is why it's one of the most successful publishing. Um, I wrote this
0: genre. email. And I and I, I don't think I was mean. I was just really upset. I tried to be nice about it. They wrote back and they're like, well, we talked about it. We, d- we decided it's not sexist.
2: Okay. <laughs> and I'm not like,
0: I'm not mad. I know, like, I understand why they responded the way they did, because probably they just don't live with having the Water SF community be like, oh, Tumblr. And I used to do this a lot with Love to. Journal too. And now, like now, Live Journal's dead. Like all the after people are like Love Journal. I'm like oh god, <laughs> it's dead, guys. No, it's
1: true. It's a, it, you know, it's funny because I've always felt a little guilty because I'm a I'm a leaver, right? Yeah. So when Genie started, Genie was great. Tum, Twitter is the first place I've been since Genie. I loved Genie, um, the bulletin board, and of course, it's you know that's old and long, and uh, it, it, you know it's it's not a. It's not a system that would really work for it anymore because it was so long ago. But, but I loved that, and I loved the community that got built there. And I didn't find that again until Twitter, one that fit me as well. But I went from place to place, and then when I saw it beginning to close down, like even with Genie, and I'm like, okay, I'm done here. I'm going on because I I I don't have time to wait for the dying throes of a technology that is not going to go any farther. And so, it, but I wanted to say, can I can I say something unrelated? This is very self-aggrandizing. Uh, absolutely, about Tumblr, you can. Yeah.
2: About Tumblr.
1: So I don't. I, I got on Tumblr a couple of years ago, just more out of curiosity than than anything. Um, I haven't been active there the last couple, like the last six months, because I've just not been on social media except Twitter as much. But man, t- Tumblr. I tell you something. I have gotten better, more in depth analytical reviews of my work on tumblr than from the 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 how do you pronounce this the eminence greases the the uh i don't know, excuse my french <laughs> from you know the the respected critics in sf they don't review my stuff and if they did they would go like oh yeah wasn't she a author once <laughs> uh, you know right yeah so but on tumblr you can i can find really smart smart reviews of my work better than almost anywhere else so people who think that it's some whatever it's just the same as these guys with the romance you know back 26 years ago when they were trashing these romance writers it's just you know I that feels very similar to me you know we set ourselves on a pedestal and then we kind of sneer and laugh at the people down below yeah. Or who we perceive to be—they aren't really them, but we perceive. We're like setting ourselves up. We're raising ourselves up by pushing someone else down. Like we can't all be like together on the same level.
0: Well, um, they can continue to sneer, and but they can do it from in the past because that's where we're gonna leave them. You know? I get it. That's right. It's really. I feel. I feel. I sort of feel kind of sad because I'm just like you are making yourselves irrelevant.
2: Completely. What so are you doing?
0: Completely. Stop! <laughs> like I feel because it's the like the publishers. I mean, I'm talking about the publishers where they're not. I think about how many publishers have a presence on Tumblr, like an actual presence. Somebody who like act is a, whose job is to develop their Tumblr, and I I just get really sad because it's not good. I well, think
1: maybe the young adult publishers. Yeah, they do. They're really like they they're do.
0: they're good because I know that um, Little Brown's
1: n-o-v-l novel they're tum- they have a tumblr they have yeah they
0: why why publishers do really well but i'm i'm talking like i'm talking like tour books you know what i mean like dear tour when the Denny's tumblr is doing better than your tumblr you got a problem <laughs> the denny's tumblr is doing better than yours you've got it maybe you need to look into that i don't know it just blows my mind and I know some of this is coming from where I come from, where I came from, the fanwork community into the SF community, and it just blow. It blows my mind how sometimes it can just be so regressive and scary. I had never been scared in fandom until I came to science fiction and fantasy fandom, like actively scared, which is probably a not a good sign. No, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, I, I yeah
1: I have nothing to add to that, having been no. in the science fiction fantasy community for twenty six years, but there is some. Um... It has a, a, a creepy side, besides all the great things, and there are a lot of great things. No, no, not
0: to say that there's definitely
1: have a creepy, regressive, racist, sexist, and I don't care if it pisses people off to hear that. If they don't, they don't have to hear it if they don't want to. But it's the re- it's the reality, um, and we can make it better because, you know, one of the reasons there's a lot of reasons that I decided to write a a YA novel, a genuine YA novel. Part of it was to test myself because I knew it would be a challenge for me. I, I, I write long, I write a lot of detail. I can, you know, I can see that, you know, books like Crown of Stars, which, you know, this is a massive seven volume epic fantasy series. And frankly, there is like a lot of really incredibly great stuff in that. And the, but the flip side is, is that it does get bogged down in detail. You know, I could go through that book about that a long, huge book and cut 10% without touching the characters or the story. I could just cut 10% of the verbiage. I just didn't know how to do it then. So I knew that YA would challenge me on some of these things that I wanted to work on. But one of the other reasons I did it was because I wanted to experience a publishing genre that was not like at base hostile to me and i don't mean all the people in science fiction and fantasy are hostile to me but but who but there's like a root part of that culture that feels hostile to women to to men of color i mean to non-english speaking you know any of that whole thing unless you come from the old you know the russian the great russian masters of the of the cold war but i just thought you know wouldn't it be fun to be treated like I was a good writer that I had something important to say instead of it being assumed that, oh yeah, didn't she start as a DAW author? You know, like that tells you everything you need to know about me. Oh, is
2: uh, that is that a thing? Is that a oh, thing yeah. that happens?
1: Oh, oh, oh yes. That's a thing. I, I'm not oh. going to name any names. I'm not going to name any names, but a, a friend of mine, this is some many, some years ago, a friend of mine um, had published some books with DAW and then sold Uh, series to another publisher who who had actually headhunted this person. And the editor who had done the headhunting was talking with a noted science fiction academic critic person at a party at a convention and said, oh, and, and this noted critic said to the editor, well, you know what, what's coming up with you that you're excited about? And the editor said, oh, I've just picked up person this person is such a fantastic writer with these multi-leveled, deep and really exciting, important and intellectual, uh, great writing, right? That was, what, that was what the editor said, to which the critic replied, but isn't person a DAW author?
0: Wait, is DAW author like some kind of code that I'm not getting? Yes, it means code for,
1: oh, that girly stuff that's shallow and not that interesting. Of course. And uh. they're not good. Wow. And Daw has labored under that, and it's not so much now. It's changed a bit now, but not not. But Daw has labored under that for eighties and nineties. If you were a Daw author, you could just get labeled. Oh, you're a Daw author. Yeah, no, that was a thing. This is one reason why Tad Williams, who's a fantastic writer, and, and he's he's very well known in the field. But I feel I still feel like he is. On the whole, underrated. And I still think Otherland is like criminally not, like, it didn't get any even any award nominations. What an amazing, that his four volume virtual reality epic science fiction fantasy thing. And I think part of it is that he was publishing with Daw. I, I've had that said to me by a noted academic critic Oh, yeah, that's right. You published with Daw. So that kind of like, then they know where to slot you.
0: I oh, just I'm have not, no words. I'm not bitter. <laughs> no. I just have no, I have no I'm response. Like that's bitter. the most <laughs> ignorant, regressive response, like response I've ever heard in my life. Who cares who you're published with? Why does that well, matter?
1: It's because it, it's girly, you know, Betsy and Sheila, Betsy Walham and Sheila Gilbert uh, have made a, a great publishing house. They've done fantastic work over the years. Uh, and and I I I do feel like they finally they finally uh won uh when uh Nnedi Okafor won for Who Fears Death. That was like I think they hadn't had an award since Down Below Station. Oh, which I believe I don't know if Donald Wilhelm was still alive and when Down Below Station won back in like nineteen eighty. I I don't I don't know my chronology. But yeah, no. I remember Betsy saying to me, We finally won an award. And And they, you know what, and they have earned it 10 times over, 100 times over. But anyway, yeah, so I wanted to go into a young adult where I knew I would immediately be treated as if, I don't know, like a man. (laughs)
2: Uh.
0: (laughs) That's really sad. Like when you need to, when you're publishing as an adult SF author and you're like, huh, I wonder what it's like to be published like a man. I guess I'll go publish Nya. YA. And it's not that
1: YA doesn't have its own issues, right? Right. No,
2: it it does. We all do. We
1: all do. We live in a society that has its issues and they're everywhere. But, but yeah, I knew I would
0: get, I knew I would
1: get a different level.
0: And has the experience been different? Has it been better I mean, it's different. Well, I mean, first of all, I work, I've work. i been very fortunate. You know,
1: I've worked with great editors in science fiction and fantasy. I'm working with a great editor now who is very mean to me. Um, <laughs> but she makes me write better books. Uh, and, and so I don't have – actually, you know, I love working with – you know, I wrote with Dahl for many years, and they're, they're fabulous. Um, and I'm working with Orbit now, and they're fantastic. I love Orbit. Uh, but it's just different. It, it's just – you know, little brown is different. Where I'm positioned is different, and how I'm positioned is different. And I'm not saying that Orbit does that. I'm talking. I'm not talking about what Orbit does so much. It, it, what I'm talking about is is how it's received in in the community that's receiving it.
0: Right, because you've talked to me before about reading reviews critically and paying attention to how people frame and talk about um, non-white or non-male characters in their reviews. You've mentioned that a few times, and I've tried to do it. And the more I've done it, the more I've realized that you have a point, and that if there, if a book is about a female character, that book's gonna get reviewed way differently in the like the adult blogging community than in than it would in like like on Tumblr or in the YA community. There's a different. There's a definite language difference, and I mean I don't have any examples on hand, but if and then and then there's added layers if it's a book about
1: a woman written by a woman, or if the character isn't, you know, I would love, I, I can't, I, I wouldn't have the time to do it, but someone who was good at textual analysis, it would be fascinating to me how Ken Liu's book, The Grace of Kings was reviewed compared to, you know, just pick some or a couple of random epic fantasy starters by people. It would just be interesting to, to see how reviewers were negotiating that differently. You know, there's so many vectors along which this goes. But but it's true. And then it, I, I have actually a great example from Cold Magic. It was a great review, actually. I had met this guy a signing, and so he, he read Cold Magic, and he's a teacher in his late twenties. And in the review he actually says, Well, I started reading the book and then I wondered, Can a can a twenty-eight-year-old man read a book about a nineteen-year-old narrated by a nineteen-year-old woman? And I appreciated that he stated it right out front, right? And then he said, and then he, and it worked because of course, then he said, well, it turned out I could, it was a great book. You know, I really enjoyed it and went on to read the whole trilogy, but, but he said it out loud. And I think a lot of people don't say it out loud or don't even admit it to themselves. And then that comes out, but then that comes out in the, you know,
0: yeah. And the way people talk about the book.
1: Yeah. And it, and it comes out if it's in, not in a, if it's in, yeah, the yeah other examples might be if it's you know when we pick up an epic fantasy and it's set in kind of what i call the generic hollywood disney medieval it's a very <laughs> comfortable place it is so comfortable for people to read stories with the with the 50s gender roles cuz the gender roles that we see in epic fantasy are not medieval it, it, with almost almost without, there's a few exceptions, but they're not medieval. They're, like, usually 50s or 70s. No, and right, the this... whole,
0: yeah, the whole idea of this whole, the whole, the gender roles thing and the nuclear family thing, this this whole idea that that's medieval, I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure if you look back, it's probably, <laughs> uh, multi, families are multi-generational. And uh, women did a lot of shit back then, guys. <laughs> they
1: they so. just, yeah, they, they just, and
0: My sister is a medievalist, and she
1: did an analysis of um, George Martin's Game of Thrones based on the TV show. I have to say she hasn't read the books, which she liked. She liked the TV show, but she said, well, this isn't medieval. Oh, that's fascinating. of course, it's not at all. It isn't medieval. Um, And and the gender roles are not medieval. And I want to pause here and say that George Martin did something that all of the men who imitated him afterward did not do. He has a lot of women in varied roles in his story.
2: Absolutely. That is very true. You know, I
1: have some issues with, I've read the first three books and I haven't seen the TV show. And I have some issues, but I totally give him props for that. And he did it a long time ago. Oh, back when I was doing it too.
2: <laughs> sorry. So <laughs> anyway, so. sorry,
1: I had to get that in. Um, but no, but and and so all these guys were like, "Well, George Martin was the innovator. He changed my way of looking at fantasy." And then they're writing books about men.
2: Yeah, they. It's go like back they missed that whole yeah. thing
1: that he did by including tons, tons of women characters
2: and viewpoint characters as well.
1: Viewpoint characters in a variety yeah. of roles.
2: Yes. So, That's interesting. Yeah. but
1: those gender roles, they're not medieval. But my sister said that the two characters in the TV show that were medieval were um Caitlin. She said there's a scene where Caitlin's writing, I guess, to King's Landing. I don't remember this, but and she's they come to an inn and the, there's like it's she might be captured, but then she stands up and says, Oh, Lord so-and-so, you, you know, are, you, your sister married my cousin and oh, Lord so-and-so, you know, you were fealty to my father, you know, who you remember how you were, you know, your father and him fought in a war together or whatever. That's, she said, that was medieval. Her, her assumption of, of, of that, um, Lord's mantle. Yeah. And then the other one is, what's her name? The, the woman the the woman knight Brianna, which i which i think they do differently yeah which i think i in the book I didn't care for her because she felt like a 1970s the, the insistence on how ugly she was that felt like a 1970s she has oh. to play sports because she's too ugly to get a date that felt very 70s to me because that was when I was a teenager but my sister's right that that idea of the lady the woman knight the the lady who is a knight and I don't mean I mean, lady in the old-fashioned term, that's medieval. But she said all the rest of it; it isn't medieval. The, the gender roles, they are not. That's not that's how. That's fascinating. Yes, yeah. and she would know because she's a medievalist. She reads yeah. this stuff in the original language.
0: What? No, that's a superpower.
1: Holy crap!
0: I know. No. <laughs> oh. Wow, that was heavy. I know. I'm sorry. That no, was that was like... my fault. I did it. I did it. I took us. I took us down the he- the heavy path of feelings. <laughs> About genre and fandom, but it's so easy to have so many feelings about these things. Well, we are so
2: we are so immersed
1: in that. So, well, I mean, I write it. I've spent my whole adult life making up stories. How weird is that? It's actually great. You know, we used to think people people used to say when I was young, people would it was like kind of seemed like kind of childish, and I I don't buy that anymore. I was on a panel at the Hawaii Books and Music Festival a couple of years ago, and the uh, organizer put me on a panel with an old dude who um, was a professor at the University of, I think, religion or sociology or something. Anyway, this guy's claim to fame was that he had written a novel so about maybe five or six years earlier that was a, get this, I mean, this is a guy in his 60s, it was a retelling of Lolita.
2: Oh, uh, okay. What?
1: Huh? Yeah, I know. Like, that would be bold and edgy in the, you know, now. Uh, and, and only it starred a professor who was a professor of religion and, like, like him, and how he went to <laughs> India. He, he had the hots for a student, an undergraduate, which is creepy just on itself, who was Indian-American. So he made up a study tour to India, and she ended up signing up as the only student to go Anyway, so he's on this, I'm on this panel with him and I asked around beforehand because I was like, whoa, man, you know, and, and I got a little, you know, so I thought, oh, okay, that's all right. It'll be fine. But it was interesting because, and this actually goes back to what Renee said about regressiveness. So he's sitting there and he's been his whole life. He's been like at the top of the food chain, lecturing and pontificating. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching the audience and I'm, I'm watching the audience to see how they react to the things we say. And he's pontificating. So I begin to start, you know, doubling down on the stuff that I can see the audience is re- relating to. I start to say, well, I read science fiction and fantasy. How many of you do? You know, so I'm creating connection between me. So by halfway through the panel, they're like on my side, right? And not on his side anymore. And he doesn't even see it. It's not that it's a conflict, but that he's like in this mode of better and worse, so finally, towards the end, he's finally beginning to twig that, uh, that the uh, audience is not responding to him like the way he's used to. So he turns to me and say, well, what do you say to people who say that fantasy stories and fairy tales are just stories for children? <laughs> oh, my God. At that point, I thought to myself, I have won. <laughs> not, that not that it's about winning a music, but, but I have won. Right. Good work. I just said, <laughs> well, and I said something like, you know, I said something like, well, you know, that's what people have said. People in authority and academics have said that as a way to, you know, make people feel ashamed of what they're reading. But really, they, you know, the literature of the fantastic is our oldest form of literature, our deepest form of literature, the form that we most, you know, blah, 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 and on like that, right? And the audience was like, oh, this is wonderful because it, it validates them, right? <laughs> they validated them reading them and because he had to put it that he had to create that thing where he was trying to put me down What It's like fuck it you know fuck it. it it doesn't work anymore it still works when you have the reins of power you know and you have the money to make the movies or whatever or give certain books a lot of um, publicity and not others but you know I'm kind of hopeful
2: yeah I think I am as well me too
1: I mean there's still so much there's still so much to get through there's still so much you know all of the we still struggle with racism we still struggle with sexism with with the gender issues and ableism and religious issues you know all of that you guys know all of that but maybe it's a little better
2: I think so I think so too I agree even though sometimes I just want to lay down and die
0: (laughs) and cry yeah well
2: yes <laughs>
0: but we always but Anna, i look we i'm always gonna back. i'm always gonna be there to pick you up and you're gonna always be there to pick me up right
2: absolutely yes we're a team yes and then we bounce.
1: Well, like before and before when those things were said often there was no one to share them with or no reason to get frustrated you just kind of like said oh that again and trudged
0: on and now now we can even we can get mad and we can push back yes. and we can, we can push back uh, as we wrap up here, why don't you tell us uh, all the things you're publishing this year? Okay, and I tell was, tell like, us about yeah. them and uh, when they're coming out.
1: So it's very weird to have three books come out in a year, which is like totally unusual for me. Um, but it ended up that way uh, because I didn't have a book come out last year. Um, I so my short fiction collection called "The Very Best of Kate Elliott," with five essays and twelve stories came out in February from the fabulous Tachyon publications they are amazing to work with they're so great and bonus it has an incredibly great cover by the first woman to win a hugo julie dillon
2: yeah julie uh, for, for a professional artist and hold, even hold on sorry teacher she was the first woman to win to win a hugo for best for professional, professional artist yeah she was that's yes. how
1: bad that category is Yes, and furthermore, when she was nominated... So she won last year when she was nominated in 2013. She was the first woman to have been nominated for like 25 years.
2: Oh, my God. So this is one of the moments where I want to lay down and cry. (laughs) But anyway, sorry to interrupt you. Please go on. Yeah, and I still had people say that, oh, she's too young. She shouldn't
1: have won yet. Oh, my God. Yeah, but anyway, anyway anyway as you both know she to my honor she honored me by asking me to be her guest acceptor i i I actually thought john harris was gonna win and and he would have been a fine he's a credible artist also but i was thrilled to accept on her behalf anyway so the gorgeous gorgeous cover and very best of kit elliott is actually a scene from cold steel that which is the third spirit walker book so it's just like so anyway, it's, that's thrilling to me. Okay, so that's that. So then my young adult debut novel, which is a fantasy, and it's called Court of Fives, is coming out on August 18th, the day before Worldcon, which I will be at, from Little Brown Books for Young Readers. It has another gorgeous cover, and they are another absolutely fantastic publisher with, with um, a slightly different editorial method which is why they spend a page when they send you your 20 page editorial letter the first page they tell you how wonderful you are and how wonderful the book was and how everything was just so fantastic and then you turn the page and then the hammer hits (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing when i work with Davy play at orbit she's not like that she says okay and she just assumes that i know that the book was fine otherwise why would she be publishing it right So she doesn't bother with any of the nicey nice, right? She just like, bam, hits it. Um, Okay, so that's coming out. Quarter Fives is coming out in August. And my new description of it Little Women Meets American Ninja Warrior in a fantasy setting inspired by ancient Egypt.
0: Oh. I like that a lot better than the other one. Uh,
1: Well, I'm really into American Ninja Warrior right now. I've been watching the new season. And and it turns out that this week, someone who reads my books and is a fan of mine was competed in the Venice City Finals and went on to the Vegas Finals. So, like, I'm like, yes. That's super cool. Which I found out via Twitter, of all places. Of course. Of course. Yes. Yeah. And then... And then to round out the year, in November, my new epic fantasy, volume one, is coming out from Orbit Books, and it's called Black Wolves, and it's got a totally badass cover by Larry Restant with a great Ken Liu quote on the front, and uh, quotes by Jacqueline Carey and Karen Miller on the back, and it's actually a gorgeous cover. I've seen the uh, full the full finished cover now, and it's just Beautiful. And one of my beta readers said, she said, I think you can call this Jane Austen's Persuasion meets Dragon Age.
2: <gasps> Anna
1: doesn't know what Dragon
0: Age is.
2: No, but I know very, but very well no Persuasion. Is,
1: Dragon Age is like one of the big fantasy.
0: It's like, it's like you know, Mass Effect, Anna, that I've talked about before. It's yeah. the same company, but it's a fantasy game instead of a Sun-Sixion yeah. game.
2: Okay.
0: It's really good. It's really popular. My friends really like it.
2: Well, Persuasion is my favorite Jane Austin novel.
0: Well, she, Anna's in. Well, she was in before, but now she's, like, but, doubled down.
2: Double
0: down. <laughs> so I have a question about Black Wolves. Okay. In that it comes after your Crossroads trilogy. It's in the same universe, right? Mm-hmm. So do you have to read that first trilogy first, or can you kind of read the Black Wolves and Isolation? If you're not, Like, if you're not worried about spoilers or whatever. Can you if do that? If you're not
1: worried about spoilers then you can. You can totally pick up Black Wolves. It's written for people who have not read or who may never read the Crossroads trilogy. It's written as a standalone. I mean, it's written as a standalone trilogy. It introduces the world and everything. You're not, it's not assumed that you have any knowledge when you read it. So it was, it's specifically written. So it is a new, you could, you can start, anybody can start with Black Wolves. There is some information in it that would constitute a spoiler for the end of crossroads so if you care about that read crossroads first the cross i would read the Crossroads trilogy first but you don't but but it's it's i mean i specifically wrote black wolves to be its own thing
0: yeah okay so you can all everybody can go read crossroads because there's john eagles of justice
1: i love crossroads it's still my
0: it's really it's good yeah
1: no, I, I I love Crossroads. So um, I love all my books.
0: Because um, you've but, written a zillion of them. You've written eighteen I, zillion books.
1: You know, and if you and if you counted them as normal 100,000 word novels instead of the monstrosities that they are, I would have written even
0: more books. <sighs> like like the third book of the Crossroads trilogy, Traitor's Gate. It's three hundred thousand words. My friend KJ is actually reading the first Crossroads book. She was like, "This is really long." I'm like, "Yeah, you're right." She's like, I need to take a break. I'm like, you know what? I took a break halfway through that book. I, t- I actually did it on, like two books. I read half of it. Like, I'm like a little bit more than half, and then I went and read something else, and then I finished it, and it worked out great. Yeah, there. Um, yeah, and
1: I'm trying to write shorter. That's the. Oh, that's the other reason I wanted to write a YA, because I knew that I had to. And and quarter fives is a hundred and five thousand words. i was so proud of myself. That's like five hours. I
0: could do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and laughs so. at me.
2: Ah, Renee
0: sometimes really <laughs> cuz i can read so cuz i apparently can read super fast i doesn't feel fast to me but apparently it is yeah. You're a super fast reader. Well, I can read about 120, like average 120 pages an hour. If I read, if I read in consecutive hours, I get faster as I read. So I can go, I can go up to 150 pages an hour if I just if, if I do it consecutively. Like oh, by, she, by by hour three, I'm reading like I, 150 I, pages I an
2: hour. I think we should. I, th- I think we should ban the subject from the podcast. <laughs> She's okay, clearly because mis- I'm not the fast reader. <laughs> she.
0: Now, I can't I, write fast though, so that's the trade off. Like I'd I'd much rather be a slow reader and a fast writer.
1: I don't feel like I'm a fast writer, but but that, I think that's because my books are long.
0: Yeah. You're, no, it's because your books go on for 8,000 years.
1: <laughs> no, no, don't say that. They seem to pass in an eye blink. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're so I good. I to tell you a no. story. Before we go, I have to tell you a story, though, about Black Wolves. Okay. So so I wrote – I was so proud of myself. So the finished draft of Quarter Fives is 105,000 words. And, in fact, the first draft of the sequel – I brought in it. It's, the first draft of Quarter Fives was like 125,000 words. Deco- I cut a lot under the kindly and ruthless eye of my editors. And I was so proud of myself because uh, when I wrote the first draft of the second book, I brought in at 105,000 words. And they were so proud of me. They yeah. let me know that how proud they were of me. Good job. So Black Fools, I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write a shorter book and the first draft was 180,000 words. So I was like, that was okay. And, and my editor, Davy, she's like, well, you know, this this is fine, but we, that we need X, Y, and Z and whatever. And I said, okay. And then I turned in a book and she said, and the pacing is off, Uh, you know, it's, it's a little slow and jerky. And so I turned in a, the second draft was 210,000 words, and she said, this is better, and now X, Y, Z, and another 10-page letter, and the final draft was 240,000 words, and she said, okay, now the pacing is really fast. It's fascinating. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It, I, so, I don't know. So, that book, I, there's something about, and some people can't read Epic because I think there is something about it that need, that not all of it, not all Epics need length, but that, that, that length is, kind of enhances the pacing. Writing
0: is like magic. Writers are wizards,
2: and editors are too. Dev is an amazing editor.
1: Oh, a- editors are a good editor is worth his or her is worth Absolutely. their price in rubies. Man, I I value them. I have been so fortunate.
0: Um, yeah, I have I a great them. I have a great editor too. I can I can totally feel you on the editor train. <laughs> My editor, the person who I have edit when I do writing. I feel really lucky, because if they weren't there, I probably wouldn't have written half the stuff. or I mean, I would have written it, but I wouldn't have published it. So, we all love our editors. We
2: all love editors. Yes, Yes, but I have one extra question. Oh. Uh -oh. (laughs) You thought it was over. So, basically, you are doing this publishing thing for 26 years, and you probably have done several interviews in this time. Is there... Any one question that you've always wanted to answer, but you were never asked? You know, there has been not, maybe not a question that I wanted to be
1: asked, but in a good interview like this one, people (laughs) will ask me a question phrased in a way or, or about something that I haven't been asked before. And I'm always grateful for those questions. That's the best I can do. Is is there a question? Do I have like something written down, please? Or, please or some, some... question? I don't think so. I'm just, you know what? I'm just grateful. I have to tell you, when I came into the field, I was like the bottom of the list. My first novel got maybe five reviews total. The first, my Hyrule Trilogy, I think the, they got like three reviews total. I'm just grateful people are talking about me. I'm grateful people want to talk to me. I'm still kind of in that I'm still that 30 year old who's like wandering through the halls going, I don't know anybody here. There's a part of me that's still in that place. So I'm just so happy when people talk to me at all.
0: No way. There's no way. No, really,
1: really. There's a part (laughs) of me that's still like there's, There's a part of me that's still amazed people read my books, you know, and that, and that they love my books. I'm just, uh, uh, okay, I'll finish this with a story, which isn't related to this question specifically but it's related to my answer so when um at world fantasy in san diego in 2011 i met karen lord for the first time um was delightful and uh love her she's love her um i love her work we went to the mass autographing have either of you been to world fantasy i've never been to
0: any convention
1: so. so one thing they do there that's actually pretty nice is on i think friday night they have from like 8 to 11 or something they have all the authors who are at world fantasy who want to do it, go to this big room and they sit with their name, with name plackets and at tables and everyone who attends a convention can come in and get anything signed by anybody. And it's nice because instead of having your assigned time where you have to sit there for an hour and maybe 10 people show up if you're lucky, right? There's always a lot of people. There's a bunch of people milling around and you're likely to get, you know, a lot of people true and and if you don't you have other people to talk to so karen's first novel had i think just barely come out but uh, we had just had dinner together and so when we went in I, we sat next to each other cuz you can like sit wherever you want so she had a few people come up but i had kind of a steady stream right and after about half an hour there was kind of a lull and she looked over at me and she goes I'm so impressed she goes you you treat each person with such respect and, and with such enthusiasm, do you know, how do you manage to do that after all the years, you know, don't you get tired? I mean, not tired, but don't you get, you know, I I guess she was imagining like, you know, I don't know, some like big bestseller who gets, you know, thousands of people and they get kind of jaded from it. And I looked at her and I just laughed and I said, are you kidding me? Every person who comes here, I am so grateful for them. I'm like, so excited. Oh my God, you read me. <laughs> uh, like, thank you. I just want to thank every one of them. So that's kind of, so thank you for having me on your podcast and for um, asking me those great questions. That's and,
0: great. I will tell you a story Thank you for being here. And so, so you'll feel better. I told a bunch of people like, I was really nervous to have you on. Cause I mean, just, <laughs> it's me. I'm to get nervous talking to new people when I talked to them for the first time, welcome to anxiety land. I told a bunch of people that I was going to have you on and I was going to interview you and they're like, Oh my God, I'm so, so jealous. I would totally love to talk to her. And this is like, this is more than five people. Okay. And these are people that I know. And I know there's more of them because if I told other friends, they would also be excited. So there's a lot of people out there who read you. <laughs> Thank you. And, and, and you I are. totally get the anxiety because I have the same thing. Oh, anxiety is the worst. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, have, I have the same thing. I, I'm always, I was anxious about this. No,
2: I think we all did well. We all did and
0: well, and in fact, I'm going to give was- us five space bees out of five.
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tango Happy Hour is Anna Grillo and me, Renee Williams. Our producer is also me. You'll find links to some of our discussion topics in our show notes at com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com. We love hearing from you, especially if you tell us your secrets. We're 100% trustworthy. You can find us on Tumblr and Facebook at Hour. One long word, no spaces. If you like our page or our post, we feel warm and fuzzy. You can chat with us on Twitter at Podcast. This week's question, what was your first online fandom community? Do you have fond memories of message boards or La Journal? Special thanks this week to Kate Elliott for donating her time to the show. Thanks, Kate. You're rad. You can pre-order Kate's upcoming books, Quarter Fives and Black Wolves, at your favorite book retailer. If you can't wait, we highly recommend starting with Cold Magic, the first book in the Spearwalker series. This week's 20th Century book recommendation from our very special guest, Kate Elliott, is The Steer's Woman by Rosemary Kirstein. Our music is by Boxcat Games. Our logo is by The Very Talented Era. You can commission them at justera.tumblr.com. For both myself and Anna, thanks for listening. See you next episode.